Alrighty, hello everyone, and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. I'm Bruce Johnson, joined, of course, by my brother Jacob Johnson. Welcome, everybody. And hey, shaking it up. Nice. And yeah. today is Literature Wednesday, which means we are talking about the very next chapter in the book we've been reading for the last mm, two months. <clears throat> month and a half going on two months now uh which is angels in the architecture by douglas wilson and douglas jones and i think we're in chapter eight yes it's chapter eight this week so yeah on the monday episode i quoted a quote from this chapter and unfortunately somehow didn't catch it in post didn't catch it in the pre-show and certainly didn't catch it in the middle of recording uh i said it was from chapter seven it's actually from chapter eight so whoopsies my bad uh if you watched that and you went to look for that quote first of all wow second of all um <clears throat> yeah good for you uh second of all uh you're probably like oh man they messed up and i didn't even notice and if that's probably the more likely uh result right now so response um but we're honest here we fess up to our mis mistakes and our mistakes we we fess up to that too <laughs> Or <laughs> we just capitalize on it for the sake of humor. Why not? So I know on Monday we said we were going to reveal some very, very exciting news. And guess what? <laughs> that that was a joke. Uh, we're going to do that on Friday instead. Because uh, <laughs> we actually, um, we filled up so much of our prep for this episode that we're just like, yeah, mm, we don't have time to reveal this infinitely and exuberantly exciting news to you today so uh haha -ha, very funny uh buckle up because it's coming at you friday and it's it's gonna be it's gonna be very we cool, should have so. just said nebulously this week this week yeah you never know yeah no we weren't smart enough to keep no. people on their <laughs> toes like that we whoopsies long enough <laughs> yeah no <laughs> who, do, who do we look like glenbeck <laughs> um so yeah by left feet yeah so, uh, yeah, today is all about the church. And if you listen to our Monday episode, that was abundantly obvious to you because that was my um, 10 minute to 15 minute rant, monologue, theological wrap up, whatever you want to call it, whether you're excited about it or you're just like, oh, no, that's today. Yeah. So that happened on Monday. And and um, I was talking about the church and about what we've lost and what the church has lost and the issues with the bride of Christ. And I derived a lot of that from uh, this chapter, but also just collectively thoughts that we've had over the past year and a half doing this show, almost two years. That's kind of been one of the central themes that we talked about. So, <clears throat> so we're talking about that today. It's kind of what this whole chapter was about mother Kirk. Um, so before we get into all of that though, we have to talk about our verse of the week and it's always not just a verse. It's a group of verses. It's a passage. And Jake is the guy that breaks down that passage and reads through it on our Wednesday episodes. So, you know, Jake, you can, that's your cue to do, to do that right now. <laughs> um, changing it up, switching it up, hoping it works. Yes. Yep. <laughs> All right. <laughs> our verse this week is Proverbs 3, verses 9 through 10. And it says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Um, and 
I didn't say on Monday. I I was itching to say it. Um, I might have said something a little bit like this in the end. But um, talking about this verse, what I like about this verse is that it talks about um, the the what our biblical idea of wealth should be. And really, in our current culture, I would say as big even jellyfish, uh, people have a idea that material things and specifically money is wrong. Um, to which we're, you know, we've said a lot on this show uh, that money in and of itself as a tangible object is not wrong. Um, and I hopefully I'm going to show you three verses. Well, actually, the, this one, our verse of the week being one of them, uh, through this verse, and hopefully through these three, I will be able to show you that what the biblical idea of money should be. Uh, this first one, uh, Bruce looked at the very first section of this, but the second section is where I would like to focus. And that section is, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And I find this very interesting that we have here, that when you honor the Lord with your wealth and with your possessions, he will give you more wealth and more possessions. And wine. And, <laughs> and wine. <laughs> yeah. Um, what a great addendum. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He gives you even more. Uh, plus wine. But uh, <laughs> uh, but in this, it, it's not saying that you honor God with your wealth, giving, giving it all to God. And then God will bless you in heaven. Mm, yeah. This is... God, you give all of it to God, then God will fill your vats and barns, make you plentiful in what you do, make you even more wealthy. Uh, we look at, we look at the the parable of the talents. Here's here's another verse. I don't have the reference exactly, but just the idea of the parable of the talents that when the person went out, bought and sold and got more more talents, he was praised for doing that. He was um, celebrated for doing that. It, it was a good thing for him to do that, for get to get more, to to um, go Amplify out and use the it. wealth. Right. But the person who just stuck it in the ground, left it, was wrong for doing that. Uh, I want to go to 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, which says, For the love of money is a root of all evils, all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Um, in this verse, we, we probably a lot of people know the very first section of this verse, the very first sentence in this verse, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Everybody knows that part. I think where we truly see the reasoning in this verse is coming in the second section. Of course, all verses make more sense when you take into into the into sense the context. Uh, take the context into yeah, I, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um, take into account the context. <laughs> there we go. That, that's yeah. a better. That's a better choice of words. Um, but we see here it is through this craving, 
And, and even so, in the very first section, you say for the love of money. It's not mm. saying, it's not saying for money is the root of all kinds of evils. It's saying for the love of money. And then yeah. also in the second section, it's saying it is through this craving that people have wandered away from the faith. It is saying that the heart desire that the what the way that you have sorry the way that you act with money the the way that you want to achieve that money your thought process through this is the problem uh last verse that i want to go over and this is proverbs 13:11 which says wealth gained hastily will dwindle but whoever gathers little by little will increase it Again, I think through all of these verses, we're seeing, we're seeing kind of in the beginning, they're trying that the people who are writing these are trying to hold people and say, hold on, here's the warnings about money. They're giving the warnings, but then they're giving you the right view. And I, I think we too much, we stop at the warnings and we only take the warnings. We need to continue on and keep reading to get the right view. In yeah. this, we have wealth gained hastily will dwindle. Warning. There's a warning. But whoever ga- gathers little by little will increase it. So it is saying that showing us the way to gather wealth. It's not saying don't gather wealth at all because wealth gained hastily will dwindle. It's saying <laughs> gather it little by little. Yeah. It's It's... It is telling us that's a great observation. Uh, so it's it's we've we've talked about this a lot, especially in the sense of more more than just wealth and money. We've talked about it in the sense of possessions as well, and I think this certainly could be applied to possessions because it's it's of the same concept. Uh, we're not agnostic in the sense that we only think the spiritual is good. Gnostic. It is, yeah, gnostic. Sorry. Agnostic is a different thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that means you're you're uh, a spiritual. You're against spirituality. You're against the um, attachment to like religion. Yeah. Attachment to yeah. Okay. Gnostic okay. is the opposite of that. It's very, it's hyper spiritual to the detriment of physical yep. things and the physical yep. world. Yeah. So in this, we're not to be supposed to be gnostic. In the sense that we only look at the spiritual. We should be looking at the possessions that God has given to us in this world. And using them correctly. As all of these verses are telling telling us how to do. So, we can't stop at the beginning. We have to continue on going through and reading the context of the verses. So, I'll pass it back to Bruce. Because, again, we have a lot to go over. (laughs) Yeah. Well, those are those are really good observations, and um, if you missed our Monday episode, you should really go back and and check that out because this this verse applies really directly to our conversation on Monday about um, economics and what's happening right now, especially in terms of digital currencies and all of that kind of stuff, drug shortages, and just society and our economic situation presently, um, and linked to. Uh, blessings and cursings from God. So as we talk about blessings and cursings from God, 
the important thing is to remember where those blessings and cursings come from and what institutions God uses to bring about those blessings and cursings. Um, so we talked a little about this on Monday, but what, one of the things we don't understand so much today, we, we have so much knowledge. I was talking to someone about this the other day. We, we have so much knowledge available to us, more knowledge now than has ever been uh, accessible, uh, especially as readily as it is accessible. But we lack wisdom entirely. So those two things are two different things. Wisdom is properly using knowledge. Wisdom is knowing what to do in a situation. Knowledge is knowing things. Knowledge is having, hey, I know this is an iPad. And I know some of the things that go into making it. And knowing physical things. But what do you do with that knowledge? Wisdom, I think uh, my pastor would say, is wisdom is knowledge with legs. So we lack wisdom today for so many reasons. But one of them um, is because wisdom is something that's been stolen from us. We've been talking for the last two months about so many things that modernity has stolen from us. It's taken. It shriveled itself up. It's, it's diluted us so much as people and as a culture that it's robbed us of so many of the rich things we used to possess before modernity came around. And now this week, we're going to add something to that list. We've talked about laughter and joy, true, genuine laughter and joy. We've been robbed of that in our culture. We talked about feasting, actual celebrating, um, shrugging off frugality every once in a while and celebrating because God commands it. We've talked about um, rich theology, theology that brings joy because it's properly understood. Um, we've talked about self-control. We've talked about architecture. We've talked about art. We've talked about beauty. We've talked about music. We've talked about so many things that modernity has stolen from us. And yet we have so much more to talk about. The latest thing on our list is the love of the church and an understanding of what the church, Mother Kirk, actually is. Page 90 in this chapter, Douglas Jones, who wrote this chapter, said, Modern life has robbed us of so much. Far from much Protestant thinking is the image of the church as our mother. The ancient prophets often describe the church in motherly terms. Isaiah 49. 50, 54, and chapter 66, verse 7. Uh, also, Jeremiah, chapters 3 through 4. The book of Revelation depicts the church as a mother giving birth to the Messiah and then shows her hiding to avoid persecution, Revelation chapter 12. End quote. So there's so much there because once you understand the church in motherly terms, we understand it as the bride of Christ. We need to understand that much more fully than we do. And we're going to talk about that today as well. But when you understand it in motherly terms, lots of other verses start to come up. And we're going to talk about some of those today. Um, three pages later, page 93, uh, Douglas Jones said, We are far more comfortable removing our hat and lowering our eyes for the state than for the church. Even though the full majesty and fire of the triune God has determined to bring blessing and cursing 
through the institution of the church, we treat the church with the same deference we give a community bulletin board. A little info, a little humor, a little opportunity. End quote. And that's what we talked about on Monday. We, we treat the church just so offhandedly. Mm-hmm. We have no loyalty to it. Um, we have no loyalty to the local church or the church universal. We don't fully understand the role that the church is meant to play in our lives. And it's because we don't understand the church as a mother figure, which reading this was actually struck me as very interesting because I really hadn't thought of it that way either. Um, but there's so many scriptural references to this all throughout scripture. You, you can't really ignore it. Um, the motherhood of the church and Proverbs 31. Interestingly, this book makes a very close connection between those two page 91. Douglas Jones said the centrality of the church in Proverbs 31 mother serves as the pillar of nourishment and provision. And then he quotes that passage. She brings food from afar and provides food for her household. She is not afraid of snow for her household for all her household is clothed with scarlet. We get the impression that without her, the family would collapse. Without her, we would be hungry and naked and broken. Mother holds life together, end quote. And that's a really interesting thing to think about. He went on to talk about this throughout the rest of the chapter. Um, and as we always say, we're not an audiobook for whatever book we're reading. <laughs> we draw maybe six quotes, very short quotes from each chapter, if that. Um, and a lot of times we don't even get to all the quotes we want to get to um, for a reason. We, we want to drive you to read this chapter for yourself. So we're going to pull some of the themes, pull on some of the threads that's outlined here in this tapestry of this chapter, but we don't want to um, show you the whole picture. We want you to read that and see it for yourself. That analogy just kind of panned out in my head and I, that, that just worked. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Um, but he, he talks so much more about what happens to a society when the church is no longer the central point, when the steeple of the church building is no longer the pinnacle of the town, when it becomes the state capital instead of the church steeple. Yep. Um, and it's a scary place to be in. That's where we are today. Uh, and that's for a lot of reasons. Like we discussed on Monday, it's, it's the um, feminizing of the church, uh, making it more effeminate. It's the diluting of the church and its gospels, of its traditions, of its liturgies, of its music, of what's actually preached and what it believes its mission is. We've diluted all of that today. Um, And it's our laziness. It's our own lack of wanting to be loyal to it, wanting to work alongside it, work with it in our culture we don't know what the vision of the church is today isn't it isn't it a little a little interesting to think that um it all pans out in this in this sort of way but i i was asking myself when you were saying that why why does why are capital buildings bigger than the churches Mm. yeah um and you know in a very logical sense money why why would the Ooh, capital building point. be bigger than a church? Yep. Well, because yep. now the capital building has a bunch of taxpayer money mm-hmm. that they can create. But right. when 
when we follow a biblical structure, the church has more money. The than, church should have more, yeah. Does. Because yep. the church is given 10%. The, the, the capital or the state is given less. Is mm-hmm. given less than 10. Yep. So really, it's like all of it's that backwards. pans out in such this way that when we're in a time of judgment, because we have forgotten the church, mm. we've, we've made the church less of, we've, we have looked to the state as our God. Yep. Then, then the state will become um, taller because of that. But it, but it all, it all comes down to the lower levels that it, it is, it is the influence of the citizens. It is not because the state did something wrong. It is because the people did something wrong to cause mm. the state to be in that position to do that. Yeah, to react. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Yeah, dude, that's a great correlation. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, that that's a really that's a really good point. Really good point. Um, and it's really unfortunate because it's it's a complete reversal. We've completely flipped what it what it should be and what it used to be, um, and especially what it used to be during before modernity right during christendom um when a christian society was thriving and and that's what's interesting too is that the church used to be so central within a christian society it used to be so central to that society to the life of the society to it was the heartbeat it was what people built towns and cities around right but we've lost that centrality of the church. We've lost it in our society today. And um, Douglas Jones talks about this on page 92. He says, the church should be so central in our thinking that without her, life would collapse. She should play prominently into our understanding of the past, the present, and the future. She, not the state or the family or the individual, should be the first on our lips when we discuss evangelism and social change and the good life, end quote. But, but we don't. That's, we don't go there. We go, oh, uh, we want to host some sort of uh, music concert. Let's see if we can get a grant for that. As opposed to, let's see if, if the church is willing to host it. If the church uh, would be involved in this, you know? Um, that's what I love about what they do in, in Moscow, Idaho. <clears throat> the church is heavily involved in, in those sorts of things there. Yeah. Um, you know, Bach was a pretty good Christian man who wrote lots of music that for churches at the time. And so in Moscow, Idaho, they host a lot of concerts with his Christian music. And it's a big thing. It's a mass. It's a concert. They have all sorts of people coming out. Um, they'll do Handel's Messiah during the Christmas months, they'll do, you know, like it's the church there is taking a very active role and the people in that society recognize that and appreciate that and work alongside it and go to the church first, instead of going to the civil government or even the family or even the individual, um, which is really interesting. And again, I bring this back to why can't it? In its current state, why can't it do that? If you were to, in in town, go to the church and say, hey, can you host this concert? Um, and the church leaders say, no, we can't. 
Why can't? Why right. can't the church do that? Yeah. And, and is it, it because it, they have a limited scope, a limited vision of what their role is in society, or is it because they don't have money? Yeah. If that's the case. Where are you tithing? What's going on with yeah. you? Like, holds that both on you? True. Yeah. Both are very true in our current current day society. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So we've talked about the problems, but we need a solution, <laughs> right? Bible's not just chock full of, hey, doom and gloom. Yeah, you're wrong. You're in sin. You're going to hell. Uh, there's damnation coming on your culture. There's judgment. Yes, there is all of that. But then what else? There's hope. There's turn from your wicked ways. And if my people do this, what will God do? He will hear from heaven and heal their land. Um, I was just reading the other night um, the book of Ezekiel. I think I'm on chapter 17, somewhere around there. And <clears throat> it's talking about God is laying out this case for uh, Israel. And he's saying, these people are a wicked people, wicked household. They've done this thing. They've done that thing. They're, they hate justice. They hate the poor. They lend with interest, which was against Israel's laws at the time or should have been. And they were taking advantage of the people they were lending to. They hate the widow. The, the widow's cause does not come to them. We heard all of those judgments in Isaiah as well. But this is specifically in Ezekiel. And then what does God say? He says, but, but if the wicked man turns from all of these things that I've just itemized, what will he do? He'll forgive him. He'll turn away his judgment from him. And then he goes on to make a, an argument. God literally lays out an argument. And he says, <clears throat> if I, I, I don't want people to perish, I don't want people to be in judgment for eternity. That's not what I want. That's what justice demands. And if they don't turn from their wicked ways or they aren't covered by the blood of Christ, then that's what they will receive. But he says, my, what I want is for everyone to turn, to be restored, and to live properly in society. And it's just incredible to, to, read, through, to read through that. Um, that's, that's, you know, people make the dichotomy, like the difference. Oh, the God of the New Testament and the God of the Old Testament. They're very, no. He's always been the same. That's always been uh, the covenant that he's made with us. So working towards renewal, page 95, um, Douglas Jones said, patience should also shape our long-term understanding of church unity, especially institutional unity. From Abraham's time on, the church has faced both institutional unity and fragmentation. Yet the church per persevered even during apostasy and exile. Roman Catholicism draws many by its evident institutional unity, but that appeal should in no way end the discussion. The Jewish Sanhedrin in the first century had much more institutional unity than the early Christians, but it was apostate. In the Hebraic mindset, institutional unity is no guarantee of covenantal faithfulness, end quote. So this is about a couple of different things. Patience, first of all. We're working to reform the church, restore the church to what it should be, it takes patience. It takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, God is a patient God, right? And this will take time. 
but it also takes us believing that the world isn't going to end in five years. Right? So we're going to work for long-term projects like restoring whatever's left of our churches today into what they should be, which is there's so much work that has to be done. Um, but we believe that there is plenty of time to get that work done. And we also believe it's not us doing the work. <laughs> it's Christ working through us, the Holy Spirit working through us to accomplish this. If it were all on our shoulders, oh my word, <laughs> it would, that would never happen. Just get worse and worse and worse and spiral down. But it's not because Christ is king. He's reigning. He's restoring this world. He's conquering all of his enemies. He's making all of his enemies a footstool. So with that hope in mind, that's why we're getting to work. That's why we're calling for all of this work to be done. That's how we can call for all of this work to be done and work ourselves for all of this work to be done. Um, also, he's talking about institutional unity. The Roman Catholic faith looks very appealing because it's like, wow, across the whole world, they're super unified. But so was the Jewish Sanhedrin. So was their culture. Christ had some very not good things to say about their culture. Whitewashed tombs, brood of vipers, on and on and on. So just because it's unified and it's big doesn't mean that it's always right. Page 95, uh, Douglas Jones went on to say, The church, like a nursery, can be a messy place at times, ripe with the smell of rebellion and ignorance. But... We should despise divisions and childish quarrels, like warriors despise combat. Sometimes it's necessary, but we should never long for it, end quote. And then finally, I'll wrap up with what I think is a fantastic wrap-up quote for this episode. Page 97, Douglas Jones said, Do we love the church? Is she central to our life and community? Do we show respect to her work and heed her pronouncements? Do we hate divisions and long for peace? Do we weep to see her healthy again? Could we really say in her absence, my soul was wounded and my very life torn asunder? Surely, Proverbs should haunt us. A foolish man despises his mother. Proverbs 15, 20. End quote. And unfortunately, we can't say those things today because of the caliber of our churches, because what our churches lack they lack so much but that doesn't mean we get to just continue in our disloyalty that doesn't mean we take our churches today um not seriously that should mean we should take them even more seriously and work and pray for them to be revived and work and pray that pastors god will raise up a generation of pastors willing to do the hard work willing to go against the flow, willing to go against all the rest of their peers who just want to have a cushy lifestyle and really don't want to do much and think that gentleness is the only virtue they require. Not meekness, power under control. Right. And with that, I think we'll wrap up for today unless Jake has anything he wants to add, which... Okay, great. Well, it should be good. Should be all right. Good. <laughs> Over 30 minutes. Don't want to leave. Over 30 keep, minutes. Keep people waiting. That's right. All right. Thank you all so, so much for joining us today, watching or listening to us. TRDshow.net is our show website. Please check it out. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Getter, and Gab. We are on all sorts of different places. Please follow us there. Rumble and Gab TV as well. All those links are on the show website, so you don't even have to go searching for us. We try to make it as easy as possible for you. We also have show merch. We have stickers like this, like this sticker here. We've also got 
mugs, which you'll see us periodically drinking out of for sale. Yep, there's Jake's mug. Here's mine. We've also got t-shirts, which neither of us are wearing right now, but we wear them occasionally on the show as well, fairly periodically. Jake is much better about that than I am. All of that is on our show website, so trdshow.net. You can check that out. And if you want free merch, you can also join our referral program. All of that and more show website, trdshow.net. Please check it out. And on Friday, you're going to want to check out that show website even more. Also, send us an email to your show at protimemail.com. We can't wait to hear from you again. Thanks so much for watching, and we'll see you on Friday. And remember, everyone, in all that you do, do it as unto the Lord. <laughs>